Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lead us the way of trust. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Lead us in the way of lament. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Lead us in the way of humility. 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 Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Lead us in. in the way of justice. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Lead us in the way of compassion. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. Lead us in the way. In the way. Of right motive. <laughs> I never get uh, tired of seeing the kids uh, read the Beatitudes to us. And thank you so much, uh, Gord, for the work that you're doing with uh, with Ten Thousand Villages. And and uh, I just want to encourage everybody to get involved in that. I know the structure is different, and there's a lot of things that are now different for some of us of, of having to do things online, uh, but we certainly want to support uh, the, the free trade and the people who uh, 10,000 Villages uh, have been supporting for years. And so I want to encourage you folks to engage in that uh, just like you normally would, if not even more this year. And just a couple uh, little housekeeping things. Uh, as some of you may have noticed, uh, a, a conversation that myself and Carrie had uh, about the children's ministry and the direction that we're going with the children's ministry went out on YouTube yesterday. And so families, if you haven't checked that out, uh, feel free to go to our YouTube channel and see what's happening uh, moving forward during this COVID season. I did drop a little, little hint uh, in that video that we are working toward an a opening process uh, where we are going to be uh, doing what we said in the, in the fall with our fall plans, where we will be opening for a watch party, an in-person watch party. You'll still have to wear masks and social distance, and we'll have space for about 30 people. So that, the, the details on all of that are going to come out this week. Pastor Andrew and myself are going to be uh, putting out a video that's kind of explaining what all that looks like, as well as sort of the journey that we've been on in, during this COVID-19 pandemic and moving the church to an online format. As well, uh, later today, an announcement is going to come out from Pastor Tamil, uh, rolling out the small group ministries, the life group ministries, and uh, again, moving forward with our announcement in the early uh, early fall. I keep thinking spring. I want to jump ahead already because I see winter coming, but the early fall. And so, uh, again, just because we are going to be opening to a small group of people, the majority of our congregation will still be joining us online. And so the rollout of the, of the life groups is actually really important. And so I want you to tune into that announcement later today. I hope all of you are doing well. 
this morning. We got a beautiful sunny morning out there, at least last time I was out there it was. Uh, But I'd love you to open your Bibles. You can start actually at Matthew chapter 5 and our flagship set of verses that we've been working through. And using Jesus' introduction to his famous Sermon on the Mount, which many of us are familiar with, we've been exploring the ways of Jesus. This series is titled The Jesus Way. And we, we believe that a lot of what Jesus, how Jesus wants us to, uh, to live, what the kingdom people look like, is presented or summarized in these Beatitudes. Of course, there's much more in the New Testament, but Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of the kingdom and those whom the kingdom is for. And so the Beatitudes essentially are a series of blessings where Jesus begins his teaching by giving us this beautiful portrait. It's like he's saying, when you're part of God's kingdom, the kingdom that I'm bringing to the world, this is what you will look like. This is whom the kingdom is for. Kingdom people. We're kingdom people. If you profess Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're people of the kingdom. Not the the future kingdom, yes, but the kingdom that Jesus ushered in through his death and his resurrection. And so far, we've talked about kingdom people, how they place their trust fully in Jesus, and how kingdom people are not afraid of emotion and learn to to trust in Jesus and to lament over their loss, their suffering, and the brokenness of the world around us. Kingdom people take a posture of humility in all things, setting aside all pride because pride drives us toward sin. But humility represents the nature of Jesus and, and it helps us to be loving the way that scripture calls us to be. Kingdom people, we learned a few weeks ago in verse six, hunger and thirst for justice, that that uncomfortable feeling of being hungry and thirsty, that, that we project that into a passion for justice, that we hunger and thirst for justice. That we can't stand when others are oppressed by systems and structures that eliminate equality in God's kingdom. And kingdom people live a life of compassion and mercy. This is what we talked about last week. By taking on other people's burdens and offering hope without judgment and condemnation. All of these blessings, folks, they're actually interconnected. They live together. Jesus is teaching it like this for a reason. He's painting us a picture of what the people of God look like, what his kingdom looks like. And then we have verse 8, our passage for today, where he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Above all of the other descriptions, all of these descriptions are dependent essentially on the purity of our heart, the pure at heart. Out of all these beatitudes, this is the beatitude that I personally struggle with the most. It's uh, this sermon in itself I struggled with with the most. What does Jesus mean? by the pure at heart, and that the pure, those who are pure at heart, will be the ones who see God. Now, he's describing, essentially, one's motive, what literally drives us as human beings. 
You see, you have to understand, in Scripture, the heart, the, the heart is the center of a person's life, including their mind, their will, and their emotions. When the Bible talks about the heart, that's essentially what it's talking about, the center of who you truly are, not necessarily who you present to be, but who you truly are. It's your entire being, your entire self, your mind, your will, your emotions. And it's within the heart that a person's true identity is found. That's the the tone of the scriptures when it comes to the heart. It's who drives, what drives who you are, and actually how you respond to life in general, how your posture will be in times that are difficult and in times that are good. The heart shows what our motive actually is, why we do things, why we react the way that we do. And here's here's the reality. Everyone has a motive. Everyone has a reason for doing the things that they do, a way of looking at the world. And it all comes, Scripture says, from the heart. The Bible talks an awful lot about the heart. In Psalm, in Psalm 51, verse 10, we hear David cry out to God. He cries out and he says, Lord, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Now, essentially, when we see David crying out for a pure heart and a renewed steadfast spirit, it doesn't take a scholar to go, oh, If you're crying out for a pure heart, obviously you're struggling with the state of your heart. And this is David, a man after God's own heart. And so I want you to understand that as we work through Scripture and how it develops the heart and the concept of it. In the wisdom books, we're told in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart. Listen to what he says. For everything you do, so above all else, guard your heart. For everything that you do flows from it. Everything we do, Scripture says, flows from our heart, actually flows from our inner motive. And Jesus, he even teaches us this in Matthew 22, verse 37. He says, love the Lord your God with what? With all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. Teaching us that the true love, pure love for God, actually comes from within. Now clearly, Scripture sees the heart as the root of a person's motives. Everything you do, Scripture says, flows from the heart. The way Scripture describes the heart, actually, folks, is really Super interesting to me and really challenging. It makes sense to me when I study this that our identity, our our true motives all come from within. But in our culture, we've really shifted this in many ways. What we often do is we, we shape what the outside looks like and we don't worry about what the inside looks like. As long as the outside looks like it's without spot or wrinkle, as long as the outside is doing the right things, then somebody must be right with God. And often we make the concept of purity of the heart simply an outward appearance 
thing rather than an inner thing. And the Christian church, folks, is actually notorious for this. Religion in itself is notorious for this. Let's present ourselves a certain way, but internally we're very different. We worry about what things look like rather than digging into why something is actually part of the way that we think. And so we see purity as presenting ourselves with right ethic, with, with good ethics, right? Essentially, Christianity is built on what you believe around certain ethical things. Like if you're anti this or you're anti that or you're pro this and pro that, then your ethic is correct and you are pure at heart. But here's the problem. Purity of the heart has to do with the things that are internally in you. And so when you think these things, but you don't say the things, God hears your thoughts. He knows what's in the midst of your heart. Like for instance, if you present compassionate towards someone, but are actually judging them or condemning them internally, you're not actually acting out of pure compassion. You're presenting compassion on the outside, but lacking compassion on the inside. That's not pure at heart. And our our culture drives this kind of behavior. We look the right part, but our thinking is often not what we're presenting. One of my biggest uh, pet peeves in our day and age is social media. And it's not because I'm 45 years old and and I'm not that active on social media. I actually believe that social media is the best example of representing someone's pure or true heart. And the reason I say that is because we are so uh, worried about what what things look like when we're face-to-face with a person, but then when we get on social media, we can post our opinions and we can do all kinds of things because we become much braver online through text, through messages that we put through social media. I actually think it's giving us a better picture of truly where people's hearts are at. And to be honest, folks, it deeply grieves me to even see the things that folks in our church are saying online. I think we got heart troubles. I think our motivations are individualistic in nature and based on us being right rather than a heart that chases after the presence of God. Jesus says this in Matthew 15, verse 18. He says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth or a keyboard come from the heart, and these defile them. It's funny how in person we can mask our heart But on social media, we share exactly what we're thinking. Many of us were probably taught that that if you just keep certain thoughts to yourself, right? It's okay to think them. Just don't let anybody know that you're thinking them. How it presents matters the most, right? Uh, Don't tell anybody at church that that's happened in our family. Yet Jesus would say that it's your internal thoughts and motives that God uses to see who you truly are. Folks, think about how scary that is. 
Think about what you're thinking of me right now in this very moment. God knows exactly what you're thinking of me right now. There's no mask. There's no social distancing. There's nothing that can separate you through a computer or anything. God knows where our heart is truly at. He knows all of our motives, and he will judge us based on the inside, not the outside. So if Jesus read all of your social media conversations, would you feel good about him making an eternal judgment about your character based on how you treat others online? Anyway, I'll get off that. That tangent, my wife's probably rolling her eyes right now. This concept of of the heart being the wellspring of life, the scriptures say, is an important biblical concept to understand if you want to live your life the Jesus way. And and I I think that that the churches focus on external ethics uh, much more than they probably should because really our true ethics are built from the inside out. I think it's been really detrimental to Christianity and the good news is lacking being good news because we've made it about all the things that it's not. So this morning, I want to teach you through a passage that I think shows us something really important about the purity of heart and how often we misunderstand the Bible's teachings on this subject. And this is probably a passage that you would never think I would use to walk you through what Scripture says. If you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 15, we're going to look at uh, Acts chapter 15 and a conversation that is about to happen between the elders, the apostles, and the apostle Paul and Barnabas. It's called the the. the Council at Jerusalem. And so just to, before we start reading, just to set up sort of what's happening here, you have to understand the chaos that's happening in the early church. Christianity in itself, it's not known as Christianity at this point at all. It's really just a continuation of the Jewish faith for some and not for others. And so you have some Jews who believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, was the one that they were waiting for, and so they've shifted into following that Messiah. And then you have other Jews who are arguing and saying, no, this isn't the Messiah, it's not him, he was a heretic, he's wrong, we're still waiting. And so right within Judaism, we have this major divide that's happening. Those who serve Jesus, who become the Christians, the followers of the way, and those who are still following traditional Judaism. And and to, to throw that, like that's difficult in itself, but to throw into the mix of that, all of a sudden this other people group named the Gentiles actually start to hear the good news about the the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and they too begin to follow him. And so we're led up to Acts chapter 15. Acts is essentially a book that walks us through uh, the early years of the church and some of the challenges that they had and some of the experiences that they had and how God was working through signs and wonders within them. And so they do just like what we do. They call a meeting Call a meeting, let's bring the elders together, let's bring the apostles together, and let's actually talk about this. And here's the question that they have for themselves. Some of the Jews who are Christian Jews 
are saying, we believe Jesus is the Messiah, but if the Gentiles are going to come in, now you got to remember, they hate the Gentiles. Think of the person that you hate the most and think of them coming into church and sitting right beside you. And you've been a part of this church since its inception. This is like your church, right? And, and they, sit, they sit in your chair even. So, so they've come in and they've sat in your chair and this is your arch enemy. This is the person you hate. And, and what do you do? Do you start to like work through that and start to judge them? Do you ask them to leave? I actually witnessed that not here at this church, but at another church I was at, I was up on the platform and I saw a new couple come in and, uh, and take someone else's seat. And I thought, oh boy, this is going to be fun because uh, they just took so-and-so's seat and I know that that's going to get edgy. And sure enough, like a, an arguing match started at the back of the room. Anyway, that's a side note. We have a lot of difficulty happening here. And so the Jews who are believing in Jesus are saying, if these dirty, rotten Gentiles are going to come into our following of Jesus, the least they could do is be circumcised and learn to follow the laws of Moses. And so that's what the council at Jerusalem is dealing with. This conflict in the church, go figure, conflict in the church. It started right at, off the bat this conflict in the church of can we let other people in that don't look the same as us? So one group says, yes, but only if they take on our look. And another group says, actually, let's talk about this. And so that's where our passage picks up in verse five. It says, then some of the believers, this is Acts 15, verse five. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. In other words, the Gentiles need to become Jewish first in order to then follow the Jewish Messiah. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, that's a lead-in to say that this was not a simple Uh, discussion. After much discussion, Peter, good old Peter, the apostle Peter, our buddy Peter, he got up and addressed them. Now listen to what Peter says. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Originally, Jesus actually called Peter to be the first one to reach the Gentiles. But Peter was obedient in the moment, but then started to get skeptical. Like, I don't really want to sit and eat with these people and interact with these people. And you actually see the apostle Paul go after Peter to give him a correction of how his posture even was about the Gentiles. But listen to what Peter says. So I I tell you that because I want you to understand that this is probably not a simple thing that Peter is saying. He's thought through this. He's spent a lot of time because he's actually struggling with the same issues. Verse eight, God who knows the heart. So God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them. Them is the Gentiles. And how did he show that he was accepting them? By giving the Holy Spirit to them 
just as he did to us. Now, I want you to understand that the mark of the Spirit, the evidence of the Holy Spirit in someone's life, that's what he's talking about, that the Spirit has been given to them just like he's been given to us. I could preach a whole other sermon series on that, but we're not going to get into it. Listen to what he says in verse 9. He did not discriminate. God doesn't discriminate. We do, but God doesn't, right? He did not discriminate between us and them. You see, God didn't separate people groups. For he purified, listen to this, for he purified their hearts. The Gentiles, these horrible, dirty, rotten people, he purified their hearts by what? By faith. I want you to see that that linkage there of he purified their hearts by faith. So, so listen to what he says. He says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of the Lord Jesus, that, that it's through grace of the Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. You see, some were teaching that in order to be saved, you must be circumcised and follow the law of Moses first. And it causes this great dispute, essentially asking the simple question of, can someone be saved if they think differently than you? I think we're still asking those same questions in the Christian church today, but in this context, they're saying, can Gentiles be saved if they don't follow the law? It's beautiful what Peter does here. Peter says that God knows their hearts. God knows the Gentiles' intentions. We actually don't. So it's really up to God of whether he's going to pour his spirit out on them or if he's not going to pour his spirit out on them. It's not actually up to us because we don't know another person's heart. Only God does. And so Peter says God knows their heart. And the evidence of this is that he gave them the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, though, is the one who purifies and transforms the heart. But how? By faith. By faith, not by the law. Do you you see this, folks? By faith, the heart is purified not by the law. In other words, the law was ethics-based. The law was about the external. If I did this and I did this, in order to be made right with God, I then needed to do this and I needed to do this. The amount of people that interact with me that say, Pastor, what should I do about this? Pastor, how should I do this? Pastor, tell me step by step how to live my faith. The answer is to live by faith. It isn't a step-by-step process. It isn't like the Mosaic law. Faith is much more difficult than that. Because faith means that you and I aren't actually the ones in control. Faith means we're actually fully surrendering our life to Jesus Christ. I didn't say like part-time or occasionally or just on Sunday morning online on YouTube. Like, Like literally surrendering your whole self to him And living your life through that conduit is faith. 
And it's faith that purifies the heart, not the law, not the ethics that they tried to live. And it's interesting what Peter says, because Peter says, why would we put that, that burden upon them when we ourselves, not just us, but our ancestors, like quite literally, if you look historically, none of us have ever actually been able to live our lives by the law. So why, why do we try to purify our hearts by the external instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to show the evidence that he exists in our heart? It's been a question I've asked for years of myself and as a pastor in the church. You see, the law is all about the outer expression, not the internal God is more interested in what actually drives your outer expression. You can actually live your life appearing like you have a pure heart, but actually be a total mess inside. But it's actually very difficult to live life by true faith with a pure heart transformed by the Holy Spirit to be messy on the outside too. You're at times going to be. Nothing's perfect. Sometimes there's a disconnect between the heart and our actions, but then other times it begins to line up in our lives. The key here, folks, is that God poured out his spirit on the Gentiles. I don't know if you've ever noticed in scripture, but the spirit also came upon Jesus when he was baptized. And it was the Holy Spirit that empowered the man, Jesus, to go into the wilderness. It was, it was the Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus to not succumb to temptation. It was the Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus to show signs and wonders to the world. The Spirit drives a pure heart. Trying harder always fails. Surrendering our lives by faith to Jesus Christ, to his Spirit, to the Father, is what begins the process of being transformed from the inside out. This is why the Holy Spirit penetrates our heart and takes up residence in it. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you. How is he going to strengthen you? With power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. So he's not talking about gaining political power. He's not talking about gaining status in society. He's talking about this this radical power of love. The power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ, not the power of Christ, not the ethics of Christ, not, the, not the, the fame of Christ, but the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The kind of heart that God wants to create in us, folks, 
is a pure heart. And a pure heart, according to Jesus, is a heart that seeks to see God. A heart that seeks to see God, a heart that longs to know him and is completely focused on him. The purity of your heart is based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not something that we individually white-knuckle our way through to become pure on the inside. It's not something that a counselor can guide you towards. It's only something that Jesus Christ, through his Spirit, can transform you into. And it's a relationship. So if your relationship with Jesus is shallow, then you will struggle with right motives. If it's deep and wide, your relationship with Christ, then God, whose spirit lives in you, will transform your heart and your life. This is what Peter points out in his response to the challenge of the Gentile believers. Peter recognizes that God knows the heart, and it's God alone that transforms the heart. So faith, driven by the presence of the Holy Spirit, is what purifies the heart, not your exterior actions. A person can have the right motive but not always get the right results. Yet a person with the wrong motive can often seem like they are getting the right results. Isn't that ironic? Don't you think? I think that's a song. Wow. God knows your heart. He knows what you're thinking and what is driving you, what's driving your perspective, what's driving who you are. A pure heart is a heart that is driving itself toward knowing God, seeking his face, and responding to the nudgings of the Spirit. It's not simply about your ethics or about what drives your ethics. It's actually about receiving his grace. Receiving his grace to know that our ethics will not always be perfect. I, I can't wait for that day that I'm, I'm seated at the throne of God and he's separating all of us and he's saying, you Anabaptists were the only ones who actually had it figured out. Maybe that's not how it's going to go. Um, the crowd of six are not laughing as much as I am internally. All the fighting, all the different things we got going on in the Christian church today, right? Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's a heretic? Who's not a heretic? This is all driven by unpure hearts. Because a pure heart just seeks the face of God and then is transformed by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And then that heart looks a lot like the way of trust, a lot like the way of lament, a lot like the way of humility, like the way of justice, compassion, and right motive. As we battle with the enemy, because that's really what it is, folks. As we battle with the enemy around the motivation of our hearts, I pray this morning that you would take a moment to just slow down, to just slow down, to abandon our individualistic nature and to reflect on who God is in our lives. Because when it comes to the heart, your heart needs to be reflecting and pressing into who he is. And so Pastor Tamil is going to lead us 
in a reflection that will call you to take a moment and be still with God. It might be uncomfortable. It might be kind of weird. I know you're sitting in your robe on the couch. You got a coffee. You might be up making toast right now or barely paying attention. Caught you. But, but I need you to just take this moment and just center yourself in Christ. And then after this moment, the worship team is going to come back up and we're going to sing a song. And I want all of you to stand in your living room to like actually get up or lay down, one of them. And I want you to just take a posture as we cry out to God to open the eyes of our hearts. A heart that's pure is a heart that's authentically seeking God above everything else. It's a heart that's free of pride and pretense. It's a heart that's willing to surrender its own agenda to the ways of Jesus. And it's a heart that's resting in and motivated by God's transforming grace. As we go about our day-to-day lives, there are so many things that distract us and pull us away from this focused center. And so as we wrap up our service this morning, we're going to do a reflective practice that's designed to help us set aside those distractions and to focus our attention on who God is and who he says that we are. As we watch this video, I'm going to invite you to focus on the words as they come up on the screen and to let your heart connect with them as you receive God's invitation to be still and know that he is God. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes.
as we go throughout this week. As we go today, we know that you're with us by the power of your spirit. Quickening us to have a heart that's after you. Living for you each and every day. We thank you that you're with us. We proclaim this and ask all this in Jesus' name.